Hello and welcome to Trending Pet Food, the industry podcast where we cover all the latest hot topics and trends in pet food. I'm your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, Lindsay Beaton, and I'm here today with CEO of Culture Works and Culture Performance Management Advisor to Powers, Dr. Dante Vaughn. Hi, Dr. Vaughn, and welcome. Hello, Lindsay. How are you? I'm doing okay. For those of you unfamiliar with Dr. Vaughn, he has over 16 years of experience driving results in the public and private business sectors. He's a best-selling author, along with Randall Powers, of From Culture to Culture, The System to Define, Implement, Measure, and Improve Your Company Culture. Dr. Vaughn is an official member of the Forbes Business Council. Before Powers, he founded and managed a boutique operational management consulting practice serving the small business community. He also served as a senior executive for firms providing labor strategy and workforce management solutions for the industrial market space. Dr. Vaughn studied at Drexel University and the University of Phoenix, where he earned a Doctor of Management, a Master's Degree in Management and Organizational Leadership, and a Bachelor of Science Degree in Business Administration and Management. Dr. Vaughn also serves as an adjunct business faculty member for American Intercontinental University. CultureWorks is the industry's first proven solution for cultivating company culture. CultureWorks' culture performance management solutions include a proven methodology and software for dramatically improving how you define, implement, measure, and sustain company culture. In addition to all this, Dr. Vaughn will be speaking on how to design, measure, and improve your leadership culture to increase employee engagement and productivity as part of the workforce panel at Pet Food Forum 2022 being held at the beginning of May, which is why I've brought him on to get a bit of a preview with today's question. What is leadership culture? So Dr. Vaughn, I know we're about to dive into a pretty all-encompassing topic, if your book is any indication. In your book, you make two things pretty clear from the start. One, company culture must have full buy-in from the top down. And two, you can't fake culture because everyone from your business partners to your end consumers are going to find out and they will absolutely call you out on it. When do you think this increased perception from outside stakeholders began, or has it always been there and it's just now hitting critical mass? It's a great question, Lindsay. I believe it's been an evolution of focus and and interest, but where you've seen the greatest shift occurring, I think, over the past decade, and it, it aligns with the shift in the working population in the United States. When you think about the baby boomer and Gen X workers throughout the U.S. and abroad, their interest and how they saw the role of organizations and their experience was focused primarily on establishing stability, both financially and through their career trajectories. I think as the percent of the working population began to shift to the millennial generations and younger, The interest in the role of organizations and their experiences is more centered around working for organizations that are rooted in purpose and how an organization's purpose, mission, vision, and essentially their core values align with their own as prospective employees and future leaders of those organizations. So where this need for attraction and retention of talent in the workforce, especially amidst the great resignation, as you've heard it referenced, 
it's placed a lot more urgency around what organizations are doing to actively define, manage, and in many ways improve that purpose-driven experience that they create for talent in the marketplace today. So you mentioned the great resignation, and I want to go into that just a little bit because it seems like there are a lot of pain points right now between the way company culture is or has been or feels like it should be versus what people are asking for. And I think the last couple of years have catapulted that into the limelight, maybe because of COVID, maybe because everybody had to make some extraordinary changes to their businesses in terms of people working from home or providing more flexible schedules or providing some kind of expanded sick leave or sick pay, all the different things that people had to do and all of the things that we realized we could do for the workforce Mm -hmm. in order to make it more accommodating to an extraordinary situation. Do you feel that all of that has accelerated all of this or created pain points that were going to show up anyway, but now it's all kind of happening at once instead of more gradually like it might have otherwise? You know, I think this gradual shift in focus around workplace culture was definitely heightened in terms of urgency as organizations struggled to respond to the pandemic. But I believe it's been almost a catalytic effect when you think about all of the other things that almost happened simultaneously with the pandemic. Over the past two to three years, the social movements that have occurred in relationship to diversity, equity, inclusion. When you think about the political movements as individuals on various political party lines or striving to foster some unity in the midst of this diversive political game that we're still seeing today. When we think about all of the other circumstances surrounding the pandemic that have created challenges in the workplace, I think business leaders are now looking at, and what do we do in the midst of all of this? When we've maximized any opportunity to streamline, to become more efficient, to become more effective, What are we missing? What's the missing pillar that we haven't explored? And that's where this notion of workplace culture becomes uh, an important focal point, both either through force or through a strategic lens by which some leaders are actually realizing they haven't pulled that lever yet. So much of your discussion in the book and in talks that you've given and just the overall philosophy and ideology around all of this, so much of the discussion around modern-day company culture seems to mimic relationship language. Things like trust and shared values and actions matching your words and not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. How can those in-leadership roles, especially if they've been in business a long time, and are used to having things a certain way and are now in the midst of this shift and trying to figure out how to handle it, how can they wrap their heads around what could seem like a pretty stark change in how people view their job's place in their lives? If they've not thought this way before, what can they do to catch up so that they can make it strategic and not be in a position where they feel forced to alter something quickly when it might not be possible to do it that way? A great question. I I think two foundational 
points of view should be considered for leaders trying to wrap their head around all of this. One is a very candid self-reflection on the state of their business and where their culture is today. And essentially through that self-reflection, acknowledge that they have some real opportunity for improvement. Are the individuals who represent their organization as leaders showing up every day and truly embodying the core values that they've hung on their wall and have claimed to be essentially the prescription by which they live, breathe, and operate every day? Are they showing up with integrity behind those values? And what I would be surprised to find is any leader saying with genuine sincerity that they have confidence that they've established the right systems around ensuring that individuals are embodying those core values every day and how they engage, how they interact, and how they make decisions. So through that lens, that acknowledgement, that revelation that, you know what, my organizational culture is broken and or requires some CPR, as we reference in the book, I think that's important. The other lens by which they can sort of wrap their head around this is connecting all the way back to their purpose. Why do they exist as an organization? Why do they show up every day? And when you start to get back at the root of why you organize or the founders organize the business in the first place, what I believe that most leaders will find is many organizations have lost sight of that purpose. And more importantly, what mobilizes or unifies everyone around that purpose, not just a purpose statement, but a framework by which everyone chooses to engage and interact and make decisions. And that's rooted in their core values. And when you start to assess that purpose and those core values and identify those disconnects, that's where they can start to say, well, where does this all stem from? And oftentimes, and what led to Randall and our development of this methodology in writing this book is there lacks a system by which organizations can mobilize their leaders around those core values in a real intangible way with integrity that says that these core values are not just window dressing, that they mean something more to me in the fulfillment of my purpose and why I exist as an organization. And I think all of this is a very important conversation to have right now. And I know it's happening in a lot of industries, but just to talk about pet food for a moment, you talked about how some of this culture shift is being led by new people in the workplace and the millennials, especially coming into their own. And I'm an elder millennial myself, and we're in the positions now where we're hitting management or middle management and really starting to have an influence in the way businesses work, but still coming up against the quote unquote old way of doing things. And a a lot has happened pretty quickly in the last several years to really make that shift as, as we come into our own as a current powerhouse generation, like the one that's really starting to make the changes and things. And it's happening on the consumer side as well, because millennials are now the strongest purchasing force. And what they are looking for and Gen Z coming up behind them is a company's story. In the pet food industry in particular, they are looking to do business with brands who mean something and stand for something. And they want to know exactly what's going on. They want things like sustainability and traceability. They want to know where everything is coming from. They really want to know who it is they are bringing into their homes. 
a brand, it's not just transactional anymore. It's storytelling. And so, of course, that is going to bleed into the way they interact with the companies they work for and part of their lives. And so you have to know internally what you stand for, or you're never going to be able to explain it to the end consumer who wants that story. To your point, not only must they operate in that way, we're at a point with consumers and suppliers where they want validation. It's no longer good enough to claim that you operate with a purpose or to claim that you are mobilized around some core values that guide your actions and decision-making. Organizations are at a point with movements surrounding ESG and their investability to global suppliers deciding on whom they want to work with. They have to now validate that these practices are real. And that's what truly put urgency for culture works and to really provide a system and a framework by which leaders can not only claim it, but validate through real practice how they truly show up and embody these core values and fulfill their purpose as an organization. We work with organizations nationally and globally now, and through our work, we're hearing things like suppliers are now conducting culture audits and validating through walkthroughs, interviews with employees, Does this organization truly live out its values in day-to-day practices? Do their core values align with my organization's core values, to your point? And we've seen through various social movements, organizations profess publicly, I'm no longer working with this individual. I'm no longer partnering with this firm because their values don't align with mine. And in some cases, it's simply because the organizations lack the system to effectively define, implement, measure, and, and refine that culture over a period of time. So that's where this whole culture performance management methodology derived from. In your book, one of the things you mention is a cultural SWOT analysis as a way of sort of taking the temperature of your current culture and, and even figuring out where you stand right now. Because like you said in the book in particular several times that sometimes people establish a thing and then they assume that it's good to go, that it's sort of a a self-sustaining habitat, but it's not. Culture is a living, breathing thing, no matter what context we're talking about. And if you don't check in on it and make sure that the people who are part of that culture all understand what culture they're a part of, it's going to break down over time. So do you think something like a SWOT analysis is a good way to begin to get a handle on everything? Where can they start? What we're talking about is a significant shift, a shift in how individuals show up, engage, how they interact, how they make decisions. And when we talk about that shift, what we're talking about really is a shift in behavior. And to foster any shift in behavior It's like trying to address any behavioral issues that we have. First, we have to acknowledge we have a problem. No one's going to open the book and decide that they need a SWOT analysis. You know, we navigate through this notion of behavioral change in our book by first helping usher an organization to recognize and acknowledge that they have challenges in their workplace culture to begin with. What they envisioned and where they are today isn't ideal. So the first step is to just simply reflect on your purpose, 
your vision, your core values, and ask yourself, is what we've represented through documentation, through the words we've shared in the past, do we live this out and embody this with genuine, authentic, intentional practice every day? First, just acknowledge you have a problem. Look at your engagement scores over the last decade and evaluate. Have you seen a change in your engagement scores over the last decade? I promise you, statistically, as reported by Gallup and Red Brick Group and others, employee engagement surveys results haven't shifted more than a percentage point in the last decade, almost two. Ask yourself why. Have the revelation that we have a problem and the way we've approached culture historically has been to respond to these engagement surveys without really asking ourselves, do these engagement surveys, one, align with what we believe to be important or foundational or fundamental to our core values? Two, do our individual employees or participants in that survey truly understand what's expected of leaders in the embodiment of those core values. Go back to the state of acknowledgement that you have a problem. Now, once you've said or validated you've had a problem and you start to get in the root cause, a SWOT analysis is just one of a few different assessment tools that we recommended an organization leverage to start to validate foundational root cause for the disconnect or the gap between their ideal or desired state culture and their current state culture. Because it's that gap that they're trying to bridge and we are recommending bridging it with method or a system by which to effectively define, measure and improve culture really at the heartbeat of where leaders engage, where they interact and where they make decisions every day that influences employee experience in the first place, not waiting till after the experience has been fostered, good, bad, or indifferent, and then evaluating the impact of that experience after the fact. And that's what we see in the marketplace today. We're saying the lens by which organizations approach measuring and managing company culture needs to be more proactive. And if I want to influence an employee's experience, where do I go? Do I continue to simply assess the perceived experience of individuals, generalize an outcome from that, and then try to mobilize my leaders reactionarily in a response to that aged feedback? Or should I go at the root cause of their experience, which is that leadership behavior? And if I need a standard framework by which everyone should engage, interact, and make decisions, by the way, equity, then I'm going to go at what defines that leadership's behavior. Well, my core values define those things. If they're adequately defined, if I have clear standards for engagement and how my leaders show up every day and how they make decisions every day, if I can get that granular and leverage those and integrate those into my day-to-day -day practices, now I have an opportunity to proactively foster the desired workplace culture. Because as we stated in the book and what you alluded to, Lindsay, is culture's happening. Now, whether you choose to actively manage it or not is up to you. We're providing you with the system so that you can do that effectively. So we're telling people that this is something that needs to be done. It's clearly important. It's going to happen whether you decide to take the reins and make it work for you or not. Let's talk some concrete business benefits because I know there are some. I've read the surveys and the polls and the insights I have of my own generation. There are absolutely 
concrete business benefits to really getting everybody on the same page and making sure everybody understands from the top down. What can the optimal company culture do for a company's bottom line? I love this question because every conversation I have with business leaders leads me to this conversation, which is, what can I expect in my bottom line? Well, there are both casual and causal correlations to the impact that company culture has on the organization at large. Oftentimes, what you read statistically is the casual correlations. I'll speak to it through the lens of causal correlations. The reality is, if you've done the work to validate that the core values that you prescribe for your organization are truly necessary for you to realize your purpose and essentially your outcomes as a business, then essentially what you're saying is, I need to mobilize my leaders around the behaviors that embody those core values. Once you've achieved behavioral ownership and accountability, it really translates to how they're engaging, interacting, essentially how they are those people-centered, tactical interactions as we speak to in the book are what informs and influences how employees not only produce, but how they engage others and their desire to want to continue to work for your organization. So when you think about it in the context of people-centered tactical interactions, think about it in the context of employee retention. If I'm able to retain you because I'm more effective in how I embody the core values, which means I'm able to mitigate cost associated with you deciding to leave, I'm not only mitigating cost, I'm improving your awareness around your performance while you're here. As a result of my increased engagement, as a result of my intentional practice of the core values every day. Thus, I'm increasing your skills and competencies as a contributor in my business. Those are those people-centered tactical interactions. So how does that translate through technical impact? Increased capacity because you now can contribute more in a more productive way means that you are contributing, you're realizing your opportunity or outcomes, which means I'm not hiring as much. I've mitigated my revolving door of talent. Thus, I've reduced my hiring costs. I've reduced my HR operating expenses as a result of that because I'm not maintaining that revolving door. Thus, now I've also controlled my labor costs and I'm reducing my overtime. Thus, I'm reducing my excess labor costs. What does that all mean? Now I'm controlling my operational costs or my cost of goods. Guess what that translates to? Increased margins. Now, that's just one workflow of a people-centered interaction, how my leaders show up, engage, interact, embody my core values through a system that enables them to have real impact in their business. That translates all the way down to those process and system-centered technical interactions that translate to your bottom line as a P&L. The cost of turnover alone, depending on the industry, is anywhere between $3,000 to $7,000 per employee. You multiply that times the number of employees you're losing on average, it's having a direct P&L impact. And that's just one example. We can talk about it in the context of skills flexibility that you gain through increased leadership engagement and what that means in terms of the embodiment of those behaviors. It's all still rooted in what an organization believed to be foundational or fundamental to how leaders engage, how they interact, how they make decisions. And Lindsay, we're not even getting into 
having a system by which leaders engage, interact, and make decisions fosters equity in an organization at the heart of what equity really means, that I treat everyone equally as a result of how I engage with them, how I interact with them, how I make decisions, because it's rooted and grounded in a core value system that's perpetuated across my organization. You want to start to validate your equity initiatives, start with how your leaders show up, engage, and interact every day. What are some of the main stumbling blocks you've seen in working with companies trying to sort all of this out? What are some of the big things that are making this more difficult that don't need to be there, that you just kind of have to get over so that you can get started on the real work? Part of what I found as leader of culture works and as a practitioner of culture is our business leaders, I'll call them legacy business leaders, who are at the pinnacle of influence, have to adopt a mindset of and willingness to change. Change readiness is a significant promoter or detractor of advancing your company culture. Recognizing that workplace culture is a strategic pillar of your business and one that you must look at and invest in in a real way, and in many cases, see through an operational lens. Our methodology is rooted in operational principles. Plan actual variance action. Most leaders have, legacy leaders have placed culture in this ancillary bucket of human capital management, kind of soft, intangible, aspect of their business that they've almost been required to address. And that's the wrong mindset. The worst thing that organizational leader can say or do is we've always done it this way. So acknowledging that how I've approached or viewed business culture has been ineffective or inadequate for where the business is today, or more importantly, where our society is today. So this change readiness is something that is very much a barrier that they need to overcome. And that means you got to check your ego and recognize that you can't fake company culture. You can claim it, you can window dress it, but the reality is the experience speaks for itself, for your employees, for your leaders, for your customers. So overcoming that. I think the other piece of that is beyond acknowledging how important it is and the strategic pillar that it serves in your businesses connecting this in a real intangible way means you have to invest in it. Don't treat your culture as an initiative. Culture is not an initiative. It's something that is living and breathing in your organization and your decision to actively manage it needs to be the same way you decide to show up and produce your asset, your deliverable to the marketplace, be it a service or a product. And then once they've gotten out of their own way and they've connected this importance to other key leaders or influencers in their business. Now it's time to invest in the strategic expertise who can take you from where you are to where you want to go. And that's why we created CultureWorks is because we have a mission to help organizations who authentically want to do something about it, give them a system, give them the tools, give them the resources to truly have real impact on their company culture. So let's say someone is listening to us right now and they're nodding their head. This is all hitting home. They have had some revelations and they're ready to act. Besides call you and beg for help, (laughs) what should they do 
as soon as they're done listening to this podcast, who needs to be involved from the very start to get this ball rolling? And what's the very first step they need to take? You know, Randall and I have always said culture is perpetuated by its leaders. It needs to start at the top. No matter where they are in the organization, if they're already at the top, perfect. That's a good starting point. If they're not, they need to identify who are those senior most decision makers and influencers in the organization. You need to bring them up to speed in terms of what you heard from this podcast, what you've been able to glean from the From Culture to Culture book, whatever research that you can do around the importance of optimizing company culture. Bring it to them, help them understand, or at least provide them the reference to why it's important. I think rallying the senior most influencers in the business becomes critical because they become the sponsors and the champions of the organizational culture. They always have been. But we've also always said that you promote what you permit. So any senior leader or leader in general who remains silent when individuals don't actively embody the core values that are important to the business, they become promoters of that consequential culture that's resulted from how they engage, how they interact, how they make decisions. Hold those senior leaders accountable to doing something about it. And if this message rings or resonates, there's a reason for it. Ask yourself why, because that frames up your dialogue. And I think once you've evaluated why and you've connected with the senior most influencers in your organization, then reflect on current state versus desired state and make a commitment that says, I want to get better. And once you've acknowledged that you have a challenge and you've said, I want to get better, now it's about reaching out to the people who can help you. Well, I think at the very least, we have probably started a lot of boardroom conversations that need to be had. So I want to thank you very much for your insights, Dr. Vaughn. We have given people a good place to start taking a look at their company culture, as well as, you know, in no small measure, a great preview of our workforce panel coming up at Pet Food Forum. Before we wrap things up, let's do a little plug. Where can people find you? Where can people find the book? Where can people find CultureWorks? Awesome. So if you want to learn more about CultureWorks or the work that we do, you can visit us at GetCultureWorks, that's works with an X.com. If you go to GetCultureWorks.com, all of our contact information is there and a bit more about our solutions, including our software tools that we develop to help organizations define, implement, measure, and improve their company culture. You can also just do a general Google search of CultureWorks of Dr. Dante Vaughn. You'll find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, among other platforms. And then, of course, if you want to check in regarding our book, you can search From Culture to Culture by Dr. Dante Vaughn and Randall Powers on any uh, major supplier, Amazon, Kindle Books, any major platform. You'll be able to find it in both hard, soft copy, as well as Kindle and audiobook, which are recently released. So uh, we, I really encourage everyone to check out the book and learn more about our methodology that underpins all of what we're talking about here. Once more, Dr. Vaughn will be speaking on how to design, measure, and improve your leadership culture to increase employee engagement and productivity as part of the workforce panel at Pet Food Forum 2022 being held May 2nd through 4th in Kansas City, Missouri. You can find more information about Pet Food Forum at petfoodforumevents.com, and we hope to see you there. 
That's it for this episode of Trending Pet Food. You can find us on petfoodindustry.com, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. Once again, I'm Lindsay Beaton, your host and editor of Pet Food Industry Magazine, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.